0: Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Uh, well, if you were watching a movie, you know, there are moments where so sometimes you come into in the middle of a movie and you've missed some key scenes. You may not realize actually what's going on. In fact, you just keep watching, and you may not be able to piece everything together. In the same way, uh, there is a story playing out in the Bible. And actually, that story picks up at a certain place with Jesus and his church. And the way that the story of Jesus and his church plays out is actually of a wedding and a marriage union. And the Bible basically describes in the Old Testament and in the New, the imagery of weddings thousands of years ago, there were essentially three major parts. You'd have a marriage contract. This marriage contract would essentially be paid for by the husband. He pays for it, and once he pays it, the woman is his. The payment was considered a dowry. And this dowry, this bride. Price once it was paid, the husband would one day come get the wife, and the wife to be would anticipate meeting him at some point. He would come around with his friends late at night with torchlights and a parade, and they would one day be together. And then, once they have this wedding. It would be a festival, oh, like a week long. Nothing like we have, much more. And it would be tons of wine and tons of food, much music, and lots of joy. And the imagery that the Bible creates of Jesus and the church is that the dowry, the bride price, essentially was Christ dying on the cross and that Jesus is essentially a husband And the church is a bride, his people. And then once that payment was paid, we entered what they would call the betrothal period or the engagement period, waiting on being with the Lord. And we would be with him once we see the Christ in in the rapture. And then one day, there will be a great feast, a great festival where we will be with Jesus forever. Revelation 19.9 says this, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. Ooh, at this feast, there'll be so much food. And we'll be there all the rest of our lives. And this will not be a week long, but it will be all of our lives enjoying God Forever. And he says, have you been invited to that feast? Because at this kingdom-like feast with King Jesus, it will satisfy your heart and soul. What this tells us then is that human beings, the people of God, we have been rigged, our souls have been rigged for lasting, permanent, covenant-fulfilling love. We have been made for a spouse. We have been made for enjoyment of love. But the ultimate husband and the ultimate spouse is Jesus. And the ultimate festival will be in the kingdom. And there, one touch from Jesus will be greater than a thousand touches from a spouse. And it is in that moment that Paul, when he writes this letter to the Corinthians, he has us anticipating that day when we will be with the Lord. Oh, church, but they struggled like we struggle because even though they knew one day I'm going to be with the Lord, one day I'm going to be with heaven, one day I know there's going to be no more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more sorrow. I'm going to be with Jesus. But now I still struggle with wanting more. Man, I know one day I'll have everything, but I struggle with my current status. And I want a little bit more. And the people of 1 Corinthians struggled in the same way. They struggled with their sexual status. We talked last week about how they had Aphrodite and that's who they worshiped and they wanted this sexual prowess. And one of their slogans was, everything is permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. If I feel something, I should do it. And this created a sexual freedom inside of them. And this was a slogan that they had. And yet, just like a man getting on a horse and you fall one side one way, if you work your other way and you go too hard to the other way, you can work too hard for this hyper-spiritual status. 1 Corinthians 7.1, it says it's good for a man not to use a woman or not to touch a woman. And so there were some in that community that were trying to get this status where they were saying, oh, no, no, I don't do anything naughty, anything sexual. Even people inside their own marriages weren't having sex. It was because they were trying to have a hyper-spiritual status. But all of us, whether it's a sexual status or a spiritual status, we all struggle, because just like the Corinthian church, we struggle with upward mobility, wanting a greater status than what we currently have. The psychologists call this an ambient anxiety, a low-level anxiety, working its way in the background of our lives, quietly, suddenly. Speaking to us. And here you hear this anxiety. And you hear inside of you, I need to know more. I need to be more. I need to have more. This low-level anxiety is inside of us all, constantly working its way into our minds. And it's just below the surface. You need more. And even when we have good things happen, when you finally get into that relationship and you know, you, you, you've heard it's cuffing season you, and you finally find that great person and you're just like, this is amazing. And you're just like, what's your name? Well, my name is this and your name is that and we're amazing. And then you hook up and then you have a relationship and then you, as you're walking away from them that day that you finally got into a relationship, you get on the train, there's still this low level anxiety. I need more. I mean, you finally, you said, I'm going to be gluten-free. I'm going to do some keto, you know. I'm going to get this gear. I'm going to finally, I'm going to do CrossFit. I'm going to do all. I'm going to get in shape. And you look in the mirror, and you're like, yo, and you turn the lights out a little bit so the shadows can make your chest look strong. And you do all that, and you look amazing. And then after you take that picture of yourself, or you do whatever, and you lay down at night, there's still, I need to be more. I need more, I need to look better. And you're working and you're working and you're trying to get this platform, you're trying to get this office, you're trying to get this opportunity and you're working and working and working and finally after two years, three years, four years, you finally get it and you have that office and you're to yourself and people walk away and you're sitting there and you hear, I need to be more. And God forbid, oh God forbid, that when anxiety really strikes and that anxiety is not ambient, it's not underneath the surface, but it's loud. And the anxiety is screaming at you. And, oh, man, you see other people's success. And you're like, man, I thought at 32 I'd be married and Keisha's married and Keisha, oh, when I saw Keisha was married, I know God didn't love me because I just am going through it. No, and how did they get an opportunity? And what's really going on in my life? And now the ambient anxiety is loud. You need to know more. You need to have more. You need to be more. And Satan, the accuser of your soul, he just ratchets up the sound. And this community was just like us. And this is a stronghold. And there is no platform, no relationship status, and no amount of money that will take away that anxiety until your heart is satisfied. This is what Paul is going to speak to. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. And Paul will repeat this in verse 20 and verse 24. He's saying this over and over and over. And you know what the command is? Live. <laughs> the command is live. Live your life. Be present in the season God has given you. God. The creator of heaven and earth has given you an assignment, and the season you are in is not a picture of you being stuck, but rather you being assigned, you being placed, that God has placed you there. And if God has placed you there, that means you need to do everything you can do to glorify God in the current assignment he has given you. I've said this before, you know, when I was playing ball, I was playing football, they would draw up these plays and they would literally tell me, James, line up here in front of this person and when you line up here, do this move or do that move or do this move. And if you, when you line up, that's called getting aligned. And once you line up, they'll say go to the right or go to the left, that's your assignment. And you have to get aligned before you get assigned. You've gotta line up right. And I'll never forget my coaches be like, we will never win a game if we can't line up right. We got you going to the left, but you're, over, you're all the way in the wrong position. And sometimes, for us, we try to focus so much on our assignment that we forget about getting aligned to God. We want greater platform, greater opportunity. But you oftentimes cannot do anything to advance yourself The greatest thing you can do is to make sure and ensure that I am aligning my full life to God. And this is why Peter in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 would say, Humble yourself, therefore, under what? The mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. What the scripture is saying there and what we don't read when we read that, we're like, okay, humble, humble ourselves. Okay, let me get it back. Okay, God's going to exalt me at the proper time. And all we think about is where are you going to exalt me and when is my time? Where, where, where am I going to be in the next five years? I mean, what, what kind of opportunities am I going to have? Where am I going to be? And when is that going to happen? Come on, God. When's that going to happen? You got to speed it up. And the command here. It's not us to accelerate our time or to just make things happen. The command here is humble yourself. And more importantly, he says, humble yourself under God's hand. You see, right now, my iPad, I can do anything I want with it. I could break dance, I could put it, make a picture with myself, I could fling it out there, I could do anything I want, because I have in mind something I want to do, and I'm using this iPad to illustrate something larger I'm doing. It's just in my hand, and if it is in my hand, I can use it for whatever I will. And if we are this iPad, far too often we want our will, not God's will. Under the hand of God means we, he can move us, assign us, and we have 100% total surrender. So he says, focus more on humbling yourself. Now, that is a life that God will greatly use. Paul will jump back in, and he will give different assignments that he finds problematic in his day. In verse 18, Paul says, was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. There were people getting reverse circumcision. No need to go deep into that. Praise God. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter. Uncircumcision does not matter. Now, keeping God's commands is what matters. Now, the mere fact that people were full adults getting circumcised and people were full adults getting recircumcised, praise God, they were doing that because they felt I needed some kind of outward signal to tell the world I was spiritual. Now that I know God, I need some kind of outward signal to the world, outward symbol even to the world. And in the reality is, yes, circumcision was in the Mosaic law, it was in the Old Testament, but the reality is... The greatest identifier of knowing God is love. Loving God and loving people. There's no other outward signal to the world. And so Paul would say that you do not need something to put any kind of spiritual makeup on or any kind of performance, but rather authentically love God and love people. Now, he talks about spiritual identity and then he, he, it's like he's working even harder to deal with a, more hard, a harder subject. And he says, were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a freed man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Now understand this. Slavery at this time is different than the slaveries understand in American history where they dehumanized people. This kind of slavery was people who were essentially bankrupt and had to lend themselves out to a master. They were the bottom of the barrel economically. That meant that they had to do whatever their master told them to do. In light of that, what Paul says is, but be clear. If you can become free, get free. Get going. You want to get a new job? Get going. Now, he did, notice he says, if you can become free. He didn't tell them to be runaways. That means he did not say do something, don't just leave, right? And because if you were a slave, you were indebted to that person. So he's saying don't just leave, no, become free. And that would generally happen after about seven years, he says, yes, if you can become free. But he says, don't become concerned because you're at the bottom of the barrel economically. Don't let that overwhelm you. But if you can, find opportunity. Shoot your shot. Get another job, praise the Lord. Four, but here's the greatest issue he has. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is really a free man. And if you're a, if you're a free man, you're a Christ slave. This is what he's getting at. You were bought with a price. You're actually Christ's slave. The one thing that marked the slave in the final analysis is that he did not belong to himself. This is Paul's point. Our church is 85% single, our average age is about 26 or 27. Most of us are broke. Majority of us are not. No, I'm just saying, that's where we are. We're four years old as a church. In two years, three years, seven years, some will be married, but many of us will be in different economic spaces. Many of us will have more opportunity than we had before. It is easier to serve the Lord when you have nothing, when you're trying to make rent, when you're at the bottom of the barrel. It is easier to be a prayer warrior if you're not sure if things are gonna work out. But when you get opportunity, see, you see many of us, our real master is opportunity. And we are a slave to opportunity. And when we get success, the real story, our real master, it tells you, the, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one, hate the other. When opportunity is your master, then Jesus is in the way. And you will serve one and it says, despise the other. And it's like, guys, leave me alone, leave me alone. I'm just trying to do my thing. I mean, I think I, the Lord is using me. I'm doing great things. No, I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about making room in your heart for Jesus. And he says, if you are the Lord, you are his slave, meaning, the mastery of the Lord. You are indebted to him and you go wherever God calls you to go and you do whatever God calls you to do and you continue to serve him no matter what opportunity you have. Now, that's about work. The other was about spirituality. But verse 25, you can kind of hear the way that Paul is saying this. Now, about virgins, so he's now turning a corner, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna deal with the elephant in the room, because I know that you are surrounded by sexuality, and I know that there's an awkwardness about that, so I kinda wanna deal with the big problem now about single people. He says, I have no command from the Lord But I do give an opinion as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. However, if you get married, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin married, she hasn't sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Now, I want to just deal with what he says in verse 25 because it seems like Paul's like punking out. Like, why is Paul giving an opinion? Why is he giving a command? Why are you not being tough like you normally are, Paul? Why aren't you doing that? Why is he saying, oh, I don't have a command? I'm not, I'm not telling you. And later, he says, no, you haven't sinned if you got married. Why is he doing that? If you are a Christian, single, woman or man, You have been called to sexual purity and abstinence until marriage. And you are living and working in a sex-saturated society during the week. And our church is abnormal in the sense that most churches, the majority of the church is married. So for a lot of people, their experience is they go to work and everybody's hooking up, shacking up, doing whatever, Then you come to church and people got babies and more babies and more babies and more people getting married. So everybody's having sex except you, right? (laughs) Right? And apparently everybody's having a good time. And maybe God has a JV will, right? Maybe God just gave me the leftover will. Like, and so there is a very good chance being a single person, can you can tend to feel this quiet statement, you're not normal? You're 32? How old are you? 32, 33? Okay, you married? Okay, okay, well, praying. You know, you just, we gotta say something because there's a certain age that you get to where we don't say it, but we put this implicit pressure out there. The real life is life with wife and kids, the secondary life is a life that's married. Oh. But the bottom of the barrel. Oh. You ain't got no family. You know, you're you're on a plane, you know, somebody says, "You got kids?" "Oh no, you don't have kids?" <laughs> wow. And do you know why Paul is going through great lengths to say, hey, I don't have a command. Oh, you don't have a system? Because he's not trying to create an implicit pressure that's a there's a normal assignment. He's trying to say, no, 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 no. All assignments are dope. All assignments are great. And Paul's like, yo, I think singleness is amazing. I would love for you to be that. It's been a benefit for my life, but I am in no way saying that another assignment is secondary or tertiary. Your assignment is God's assignment. It's a great assignment. Live your assignment. It's awesome assignment. Live your assignment. And so the reality is this. We are four years old as a church. I'm going to be extremely honest with you. At this time, I thought everybody was going to be married, praise God. I did. I was like, yeah, though that, I had like these little marriages. I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> and I feel that I should be full frontal and just ask for you to forgive me if you have ever felt an implicit pressure by me to be somewhere you're not. Because you know, you go over somebody's house, you start laughing and talking, and you go, so who do you like, or, (laughs) nah, you don't like nobody? Okay, 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 you know. And then that person goes, ah, then they go home. And I'm in bed with my wife. And they're in bed alone. And it was funny in the moment. But then that thought starts to work in their mind. They start replaying that moment. And they say, why why am I not with somebody right now? And sometimes, I mean, I never in a million years thought I would pastor a church at 41 years old where everybody, one, is eons younger than me, praise God, but more so where everyone would be single. And sometimes we can act like that is a detriment of our community, as if it is not an advantage. And I am announcing, if you are married, no longer put pressure on our singles. If you are single, no longer put pressure on anybody else single. If you're a guy, man, shoot your shot, 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 shoot. Don't don't shoot a shot, shoot it. Make sure you are seeking God. Make sure you are running hard after God. At this time, and even now, in our society now, it was different for women, though. Yes, the men had to be bold and all that, but for women, they had to wait. And I just want you to know, to my sisters, we, as leadership, will always seek to protect you, but moreover, we will protect you by not putting pressure on you. There's no level of beauty that says you need to be married. There's no age that says you need to be married. And marriage is not a better assignment. That is an announcement and a proclamation in our church. That means when you hear someone putting pressure on someone else, Say, hey, hey, at our church, we look at marriage as an opportunity. Now you say, okay, amen, I know this in the Bible. Are we all agreeing with this? But this is what I'm going to tell you. Paul says this. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he said it earlier, chapter 7, verse 7. I wish that all people were as I am. But each one has his own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. And people are like, oh, well, Paul was tripping about this gift thing. I mean, this is really not a gift. I mean, how is singleness a gift? It's not really a gift, right? What kind of gift is that? And part of our problem is we have misappropriated what Paul meant by gifts. A spiritual gift is not like a Christmas gift, right? where on Christmas, you open up it's just like, hey, <laughs> I got these boots, praise God, I'm gonna wear them, they're for me because they're mine. And when I walk around, people are gonna see me and they are gonna think I look better because that's my gift for me to do my thing, right? Paul is not talking about Christmas gifts. He's not, and, and in the same way, when we look at gifts, Like like it's a Christmas gift for me, we tend to look at our gifts of service as they're for us. Because when I speak, you know, I'm a speaker. When I sing, I'm a singer. When I lead, I'm a leader. And God has given me a gift for my identity. And church, God did not give you any of your gifts so that you could particularly feel better about yourself. God has given you gifts not to make you feel more secure, but to make you be a better servant. So the reality is, is that gifts, think not of a Christmas gift, think more like a tool belt where God has given you something to help somebody. That's why we have gifts, to serve God and to help other people. And Paul says that when you're single, you can help more people and you have more time. And you have more availability. He says that season of your life is a unique gift. And you say, well, it doesn't feel like a gift. Well, because gifts are intended for service. So if you are not serving anyone and you're isolating yourself, you're really not experiencing the power of God in your life. You're not feeling, you're experiencing the power of the gift he's given you. Then Paul says, oh, I know you don't feel like it's a gift. He says, but can I tell you something about marriage? Paul's single. <laughs> He's like, I've done some counseling. <laughs> it's not all that. That's what Paul says. He's kind of winks. He's like, trust me. Paul in Ephesians 5 says marriage is incredible. He says, man, the dude is like Christ and church and the wife is like the church. He says, it's this is glorious, amazing thing, but I just want to tell you that in verse, the, the earlier verse, he says, it's, he says I want to spare you from trouble. Verse 28, he says, I want to spare you from trouble in this life. And then in verse 32, this is what he says. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 33, but the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, yes, so that she may be both holy, both in body and in spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit. I'm not trying to put a restraint on you. I'm not trying to give you a secondary life. I want to promote what is proper so that she may be devoted with the Lord without distraction. (laughs) Y'all read that and you're like, distraction? But the married people are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Thursday nights. So I do sermon prep. Jesus, 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 Jesus. All right. 530. Time to go. Gotta get home. Six o'clock. Wife's waiting. But sometimes I'm trying to work an analogy or a story. And I'm just like, how do I say this? Oh, Lord, Lord, not just, oh, God, just do something amazing today. And I look up. It's 545. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I walk into the house. I'm like, honey, I had this incredible story. The Lord was just placing on my heart for the message. And blah, 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 blah. And I'm talking. She's just like, mm-hmm. Praise God. You know it's 6'15, right? You know I've been with these kids all day. You know these dishes have a relationship with you, praise God. Like I need some help. And what she's saying is I need you to help me. I, that's what I need. I need you to help me. That's why we got married. I need you to help me. I know you want to serve the Lord, and I know that analogy is amazing. I know that story is amazing. I know this message this week is going to be amazing, but I need you to be amazing here. The other week, my wife was like, yeah, I want to go on a mission trip. I was like, a mission trip? She was like, yeah, I'm just thinking about the Lord just sending me everywhere. I was like, we have a two-year-old. Yeah, going on, on a mission trip. You're not leaving her with me. You're leaving her, her with me. She is a trip. I, I can't. I cannot. you know, you're not going anywhere. Because our lives are not set. You know, I, I'm telling you, and I know that you. I, I, I know that sometimes when someone married says that singleness is an opportunity, it sounds like I'm, I'm disqualified because I'm in it already, right? It's just like blah blah blah. Okay. Yeah, okay. But but what I'm trying to tell you is. I don't know what it's like to be bored. I haven't felt that feeling in years. <laughs> I don't even know what, the, what's that like? I don't know what to do on the weekend. I have, my, my daughter is an alarm clock, praise God. My wife, and I have, I have three daughters and one wife. I have wife, wife junior, wife junior, junior, <laughs> wife junior, junior, junior. I've got all these emotions set up and what I'm, t- what I'm trying to tell you is they all want my time and my energy and my life, and I love them to death. But we have romanticized family, not just in this country, globally. And Paul just says, man, you're not abnormal. And he says, man, there's trouble in marriage. Last week, I preached on, uh, I preached on sex and marriage Singles were like, wow, 1%, only 1% of the time. Wow. Praise God. It's different. I didn't know that. I'm going to try to change that percentage, praise God. <laughs> Somebody called me and said, I'm going to change religion. Too. I'm going to be a 5%er. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Very funny. Very funny. When you left... When you left the message last week talking about sex and marriage, if you're single, that was like, hmm, that's interesting. But for some people, that was an elephant in the room. When they went home, they had a long discussion. Others might have had a good discussion, but at at the end of the day, service is a struggle. And loving someone deeply is painful. I say this not to in any way try to like make marriage seem bad and singleness good. I'm just saying it's just a different assignment. C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it, carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in, the, in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And when you love someone deeply and you want them to love you back, it is Sometimes the darkest nights of your soul. You think you're lonely being single? Imagine being lonely and being married. Imagine feeling like I can't connect to the person that I always wanted. You think you feel pain now? Oh. Trust. When I counsel single people, that's a hard conversation. But when I counsel married couples, it can be devastating, the pain. It's just different, y'all. And as a church, I, I honestly think because we have so many single people and because we're in America and because we see stuff and, you know, I think that we are just following the trends of the culture. But what, the way that you're able to break the yoke of that ambient anxiety and the implicit pressure of the culture is to have your mind enter into a kingdom-like dream. To have your mind enter into a space where you're not just thinking about what's for you next, where you're not just thinking about your assignment. What I'm trying to tell you is for some of you, you dream too little. What, marriage is your dream? Then you get married. Mm. Now what? You see, you you, want to climb a ladder, but your ladder isn't long enough. You need to dream bigger. And so the way to reconstruct the way that you dream to so pray the way that Jesus said, pray. Jesus, one night, speaking with the disciples, they said, Jesus, how do you pray? I mean, we over here praying, but you know, you're the son of God. How do you pray? Just teach us how you pray. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, therefore, you should pray like this Our Father, In heaven, I need to think about who I'm talking to. I need to get my mind connected to the one that I know loves me, one that knows all my needs. I need to get my heart connected to this Abba Father. I need to remind myself he is on the throne of this world, and he's on the throne of my life, our Father. And he says, your name be honored. Your name before my name. I want my mind wrapped up in your glory. I want to worship you throughout the day. I want to worship you moment by moment. Your name. But then he says something that actually takes away that ambient anxiety of, I wanna know more, be more, have more. I wanna know more, be more, have more. I want more, I want more. He says, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Your will be done. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom is awesome. Oh, there's a festival waiting for me. And there's Jesus. He's sitting on the throne and he's in heaven. And he's going to satisfy all my needs. And I've got my mind connected to this everlasting kingdom where eternity will be forever and I will enjoy him. And I would like a taste of your kingdom here on earth. I'd like windows into your kingdom here on earth. I'd like to experience what you have in the kingdom. I'd like that on earth. But first, your kingdom comes. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just want a a taste of your kingdom, God. And your kingdom is expansive. Your kingdom is so awesome. It's the lying laying down with the lamb. It's Republicans with Democrats. It's black with white. It's all of us coming together. And if I could just take some of that kingdom and place it down here and oh, I'd like to get married. Because he says, give us today our daily bread. Meet my needs. You see, you see a prayer priority. I'm talking to a, a mighty sovereign God who I call, I call Father, so he hasn't forgotten about me. He cares for me. I'm cared for, I'm taken care of. And you know what? He's holy, meaning he's pure. And and, and here's the thing: I want to see a kingdom agenda before my personal agenda. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And tonight, I want you to trade in that ambient anxiety, that low level sound that you've been hearing for so long. And I want you to start to pray kingdom-like prayers because your mission is not marriage, your mission is Jesus. It's to seek his face, to know him more. And this, is a yoke that will be broken in our church. We will break that yoke in our church. And we will break it by not pressuring each other. We will break it by praying kingdom prayers. And we will break that yoke. Not when everyone is married, oh, but when one day we're with the Lamb and we will be satisfied. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus in our lives. And we pray, God, that tonight we would just lay down all of our life before you, God. We pray, Jesus, that I just pray against, I pray against pressure and anxiety to be married in the name of Jesus. I pray against all types of pressure that Pastors may be putting on members. Brother may be putting on sister. I, 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 And I put myself in that order. I put myself in that prayer. I ask that you forgive me for any kind of implicit pressure that I may give. And I call on you in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to rearrange our priorities where we would not see how our relationship's working as the definition of our souls. But rather we would be inviting more people to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That the kingdom agenda, your rule, would rule our hearts. In Jesus name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at Bridge Church NYC or visit our website bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.